Like, hello everyone, welcome to Hello and this gospel. I'm Kisegan Pedro, and let me start like I always start by saying that there is now no condemnation against those who are in Christ Jesus. And as many of you who have been here believed in Jesus, I just want you to know that God is not condemning you for anything, He's not trying to punish you, He's not trying to find out your sins or bring them to the open and expose you. No, He's not like that. In fact, the soul of my Christ died was to pay for your sins. He was the offering for every transgression that men would ever commit upon the earth. And yes, for that, uh, for that swindling, for that stealing, for that lying, for that fornication, Christ was the payment for it. And God is not trying to punish you for any wrong. Alright? He's loving, he's kind, and then he's good. He's a good, good father. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Alright, that being said, I want us to just brood over some thoughts about the person of Jesus Christ. There's this, there's this prevailing thought of how God has multiple characters. A loving father and then a consuming fire. One who wants to punish and curse and beat and uh, flog his kids, and at the same time, one who wants to love them up. Do you see? Do you see how? Um, how I like. Uh, I want to use the word dubious. How dubious and two-sided that actually is, because it robs it robs people from the benefit of having a good relationship with Jesus, with God, right? So Jesus is the revelation of who God is. Jesus is God unveiled. Jesus is God unstopped. I think it, I think it's Colossians 1.14 that says that um, he is the express image of the invisible God. Yeah, that's that's so. Colossians 1.14.15 about that. He is the unveiling or he is the, um, he's the expression of the invisible God. So everything that you would ever want to know about God, his nature and his character is seen is seen in the person of Jesus is seen in the person of Jesus Christ now if if you'd follow the life of Jesus you would hardly see anywhere where he condemned or where he punished uh, the people who were who were called who were called sinners by the religious folks you hardly see anywhere where he punished them or where he cursed them or where he condemned them in a sense as opposed to the religious people of his day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, <laughs> Sadducee, yeah. So you had this anywhere where he actually outrightly condemned people for the things that they did, right? Rather, he he came to save humanity. As he was speaking to Nicodemus, he said this: "Son of man, they didn't come to they didn't come to destroy, but he came that all may have life." That's John chapter 3. And he says that for God to love the world, very popular scripture, for God to love the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So notice this. Uh, Jesus Christ saying that whoever believes in him should not perish. Uh, that perish can be substituted for, should not be punished, should not go to hell, should not. Uh, come under condemnation should not come under um, punishment right but he also said this that whoever believes has passed from death 
unto life. Yeah, so I've passed from death unto life. And remember that the word says that the wages of sin is death. It simply means that the punishment for sin is death. The punishment for sin is sickness. The punishment for sin is poverty. The punishment for sin is madness. It just goes on and on and on and on. So Jesus Christ did not come to condemn people. He did not come to beat people. He did not come to send people to hell. He came to give the forgiveness of sins. He came to remove sin from the world. As John the Baptist famously proclaimed when he saw Jesus Christ walking down the street one day, he shouted, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Sins of the world. Not just of one man, not just of Christians, not just of the Buddhists, but the sins of the entire world. Glory to God. Think about it. So, it, it, it means that Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of God, um, saw it fit that men needed help in removing sin from their lives and if he had taken away the sins of the world it means that he took it away i'm not just saying the sins of believers now but the sins of the world he took it away he took it away glory to god <laughs> took it away now um that on one hand that on one hand um, god dealing with the sins of the world by the person of jesus christ and then People always have this mindset that if they if they sin, one, God will punish them too. But I would like to tell you this: that if, uh, sorry, I can't remember. I stopped uh, cutting and coming back. I'm not listening. So, um, on one hand, people are thinking of God as one who wants to punish. On the other hand, people are seeing God as one who loves. But the story of Jesus reveals the full character and nature of God as one who is intent on taking away everything and anything that wants to harm humanity. Now I'm not just saying Christians as Christians or the sector of Christians, but I'm saying as humanity as a whole. Second Corinthians five. It says that um God is in Christ Jesus reconciling the world back to himself not imputing their sins against them meaning that he's not calling out people's faults he's not pointing out that this girl is a is a harlot this girl is a prostitute this guy is a thief he's not doing any of those things he's not pointing out anybody's faults what he's simply doing is that he's he's saying that uh, i have loved you and i have paid for your sins come to me i have loved you i have paid for your sins come to me just as you are you know Many times people people come into the Christian fold and then they have this huge burden burdens on their neck to change, to transform, to work on themselves, to try to try and be a better Christian. Yeah, I've been there before. But honestly, the only person, the only thing and person that can change anyone at all, anyone's heart is the is the Holy Ghost, is Jesus. Right, um, Paul was speaking in Romans chapter two. He says this that the goodness of God leads people to repentance. It means that people have to enjoy, people have to enjoy God's goodness, people have to enjoy the grace of God before they can repent. <laughs> it sounds crazy, right? That people must eat, people must be happy, people must enjoy God. And when I say enjoy, I mean enjoy God to the fullest, and and they'll be like, God, God is good, joy, God is good.
Oh my God, God is good. And in that, in that, their wow and all moments, they immediately start transforming in attitude of mind and character towards people because they are seeing someone is being kind to them, someone is being nice to them, someone is showering them with love, with mercy, with blessings, with finances, with material blessing, and they just can't help but but um pour out that that overflowing love to people around them. So it's not an effort. It's not an effort on their part to try and change. It's not an effort on their part to try and surrender. It's it's a response to a love that is being poured out into them. Poured out into them. Right? Hope that makes sense. It's a response of of God's goodness, God's kindness to them. I, I'd like us to just um, revisit the baptism of Jesus Christ. I'll just scoop over it. And then, we'll, then we'll go forward. Now, so Jesus Christ hadn't begun ministry yet. I can see it in Matthew chapter three. Jesus Christ hadn't begun ministry yet, and he was he went on to John the Baptist to fulfill our righteousness to get baptized, and then something happened that is very, 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 very awesome, very, very mind blowing if you consider it carefully. So he, John the Baptist, put him into the water and brought him out, and then the heavens was opened, and a voice came from heaven saying, "Behold." No, no. <laughs> saying, saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Notice, Jesus Christ hadn't done anything up until that point. He hadn't done any special works, any special miracles that, that were recorded anyways. Nothing. He was just at the building phase of his of his ministry, of his... It, to people nowadays, it would be like building phase of their careers, building phase of their marriages, building phase of their years that childhood days any any phase at all God appeared to Jesus saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased so God is pleased he's pleased with Jesus he's pleased with you because you believed in Jesus he's not pleased because of any works works of yours at all it your, your works are good your works are kind your, your works um, magnify the goodness of God but that's not why he's pleased He's pleased because he has you. He's pleased in loving you. He's pleased and excited about you. Uh, an old an old testament prophet proclaimed it, that God rejoices over you. God dances around you, knowing that he has you, knowing that you are his. God is insanely, insanely, and I'm saying this, I'm saying this with all vehemence that God is insanely in love. It's a palpable love, in love with you. <laughs> in love with you. Glory to God. Right. I once told uh, someone was evangelizing to a while back that it's only a madman that would give his son to die for someone who doesn't know him yet. And honestly speaking, only a madman would even do that. We've seen that in Nigeria how mad people guard their kids. So God must must be insanely, stupendously in love with us, with you. Yeah, in love with you, with us, with you. Right. John in uh. I think yeah, John in first John chapter four he said this that we are we are persuaded of the love that God has for us. So God wants you to know that He loves you. He wants you to be persuaded that His love for you is real. It's more it's more tangible than day and night. It's more tangible than uh, your daily your daily challenges. And I know that we've been in this world for so long and the challenges of life comes comes to everyone 
in, at different points in time but this is this is god saying that he loves you regardless of where you are regardless of what you've done he loves you and he wants you to know that he's not trying to condemn you rather he has given us a solution justification in jesus christ that the only way to be right not before god before god and before the cosmos is simply by believing in jesus christ and christ alone there's there's a relationship that the father wants us to have with him and let me read let me read from first john chapter one you would you would see what i mean it's a very it's a very interesting um scripture first john chapter one if you can plot your bible first john i thank god for this utterance because i didn't plan teaching tonight but let's go on first john chapter one verse one says that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and shown to you that eternal life which was with the father was manifested manifested unto us verse 3 that which we have seen and heard we declare that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that he also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ so we see that the end of what god wants us to have is a relationship with him the father and with jesus the gospel is simply gospel simply a relationship with jesus with jesus christ is all about jesus jesus christ praying in 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 john chapter 17 he says this father that they may that that this is eternal life that they may know you the one true god so, so the knowledge that he was talking about there it's not just oh, a passive knowledge no it's it's an experiential knowledge that the father wants you to know him the one true god wants you to interact with him wants you to be intimate with him uh, i think in 10 corinthians chapter 13 the very last verse it says this may the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god and the communion of the holy ghost that word communion actually means it's actually another word another word can be used for that is intercourse the intercourse of the holy ghost he's, he's talking about an, an intimate a deep relationship with jesus we've not experienced before and i know i know people want that people are hungry for the reality of god that's why we have atheism that's why we have buddhism that's why we have confucianists that's why we have different sect of religion they are all trying to reach god to meet god but jesus is god coming down to meet men all right i don't blame people for being buddhist i don't blame people for being um and for being muslim I don't blame people for being confucianist is because they are all sincerely trying to reach out to god and god knows this he's not trying to beat them god knows this <laughs> he's he's he has stretched out his arm in the person of jesus and he's saying that you've looked for me here i am i have come down to you in flesh and in blood to relate with you i have removed the barrier of sin that made you flee from me and let me say this that sin sin didn't keep god from man right sin kept men from god this is this is deep sin didn't keep god from men sin kept men from god in that men who had sinned were always feeling condemned but always feeling um, unworthy 
and then they will automatically be running away from God. They will automatically feel condemned in God's presence. Why? Because in the spirit realm, God is a judge. So if you are standing before a judge and you know you've done something wrong, you would not feel comfortable being around a, a judge. You'd be running away. Even if the judge loves you, you wouldn't want to hear what he has to say. You'd be running away. So God was never seeking to punish men. Whenever he appears, men unconsciously, their same conscience will come, comes alive and they will start running away from the loving God, loving Jesus. Glory to God. So, God is God is love, God is just, God is righteous. One from God. Um, I, I, love this to, I love the story of, um, I don't know why they call her the adulterous woman, actually. They should, they should call that story, um, No Condemnation, <laughs> where um, the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery towards Jesus and then told Jesus that this woman was caught in adultery and the law of Moses said that we should stone such a one. What do you say? So notice that we have customs, law, laws, religions, moral rectitude, governmental rules on one end and then we have Jesus, grace on the other end. The, the laws of the land are saying punish her, kill her, let her die. <laughs> Just as just as it's written that the religion of sin is death, that's what the laws of the land says. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said this: Which of you amongst you, um, let him that has not sinned cast the first stone? Notice this: Jesus Christ didn't talk about the lady. He didn't call her a sinner. He didn't say that uh, uh, it's just one sin. Uh, no, no. He said that which of you, which of you, um, he said that. Any of you that hasn't sinned should cast the first stone, and none of them could cast a stone. So you see that the law of performance doesn't make anyone holy. It doesn't add anything to anybody. It doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't make you holy before God. And one by one, they turned around and went away. And Jesus Christ, the only one who could cast a stone, asked her, does anyone condemn you? And she said, no, Lord. Then Jesus Christ said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and see no more. So in the same way, Jesus Christ is saying that neither do I condemn you. Go and see no more. It's the same thing that God is saying. God is saying that neither do I condemn you. Go and see no more. That's the grace of God. And please keep in mind that that was before Christ died for our sins. Right? Right now, it won't, it won't be that um, go and see no more. It will be that your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Glory to God. So Hebrews 1. Let's read Hebrews 1 about Jesus. I love the scripture. I'm flipping and I'm flipping and I'm flipping. Man of God, where is Hebrews 1? <laughs> okay. Hebrews. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> so, Hebrews 1 verse 1. In many separate revelations, in different ways God spoke to, spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets but in the last of these days he has spoken to us in the person of a son whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things so Hebrews 1 verse 1 to 2 is simply saying that in the old times God spoke to prophets God spoke to priests God spoke to holy men through visions through signs and symbols but now in this day he's speaking to us through the person of Jesus Christ what does this mean he's, he's saying that Jesus is his representative 
whatever thing Jesus says goes, whatever thing Jesus Christ has done is what he's saying. Whatever thing that Jesus Christ finished works has proclaimed is what he's saying. Whatever thing that Jesus Christ approves of is what he's saying. Right? Um what what Jesus Christ has done is this that he has paid for your sins. Let just just declare with me that my sins have been paid for in full. My sins have been paid for in full. Glory to God. There are no there there, there is now no condemnation from, from God towards you. Right? Uh, I think I should say this because it's very important that God is the only person, God is the only judge who is responsible for counting sins, for judging sins, and no one else. God is the only person accountable for judging sins and no one else. And do you know what he says about those who have believed in him? Now, let me first address those who haven't believed yet. Right? So those who have not believed in Jesus Christ, yet, he's not condemning you, right? Rather, he's saying that he has paid for your sins. So therefore, believe in Jesus Christ and then you receive a new nature. So your sins is not what is keeping um, you from God. It's the nature. It's, uh, it's a sinful nature. I, I think we've explained that before. It's in our previous, um, in our previous teachings. You can go back and um, listen to them again. Right? It's a sinful nature that keeps men from God. Right Now, for the believer... The believer cannot sin against God. It's it's it's. I know it's it's mad. It's a matter, but the believer cannot sin against God. You know why? Because God, who is the judge of the entire cosmos, has declared once and for all that He is not recording sin against you. Let let me read that. It's in Romans chapter four. Speaking of what? Speaking of the blessings that that David proclaimed. Romans chapter four. This is crazy. So God is not. God doesn't see sin in the believer. Romans chapter 4. Yeah, so Romans 4, 6. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now this is talking about the believer. That the Lord will not impute. The Lord will not record. The Lord will not see sin in him. Do you understand? That this is God, the judge of the entire world, saying that He is not going to see sin in you, in whatever thing you do, in whatever thing you say. So where then does sin come in? It comes from men, actually. Because God is not calling you a sinner. God is not calling you a fornicator. God is not calling you uh, a harlot. He's not calling you any of those things. He has forgiven your sins. What? What's happened now? What's happening now is that people are bringing in culture. And moral rectitude into the gospel and saying that these are standards which God goes by. So when a man calls you a sinner, he he's speaking out of morality, out of culture, not out of the truth of the gospel. God is not angry with you. God is trying to punish you. God has forgiven your sins, past, present, and future. I just want you to know that Jesus Christ is the same. He is the same today, tomorrow, forever. There is now no condemnation. He wants to be good to you. The more you think that you are sinning, the, the, the less you see the goodness of God in your life. Because your heart will be running away from Him. Like I explained, if you're owing someone, right, you'll be running from... If you think you're owing someone, you'll be running from the person. Even if the person wants to do you good. So in the spirit realm, if you're conscious or thinking that you, that you have sinned against God, you'll be running from the goodness of God. 
Even if he's trying to give you good things in the spirit, running from them. So that's why he wants to know that he has forgiven you your sins. And he wants to be good to you every single day. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So I will end it here. Uh, just declare that my sins are forgiven. I am the version of God in Christ Jesus. And I experience the new Christian realities by the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening.